begin our time in God's Word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of this day, thanking you for the blessings we've already enjoyed in worship. Lord, as we come to this time where we break open the bread of life and we seek to be nourished by your Word, Lord, that you would work through me, that I might preach the words that you would have me to preach, and that you would open the ears and the eyes of these, your people, that they might hear and see the truth. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, as we continue our study in the Beatitudes. And we've already been through two of the Beatitudes and seen that uh, the blessings of the kingdom of God come upon those who are of a particular attitude, those who are, uh, have a particular place in this life and a, a particular uh, walk in this life. And so we saw, saw first that the kingdom of God comes to, or for, the blessing of the kingdom of God comes for the poor in spirit. Those who recognize their own sin and repent of their sins, who know that they are poor without the presence of God in their lives and without the redemption of God in their lives. Uh, We've seen also that the kingdom of God comes for those who mourn. Those who mourn not only their own guilt and sin, but the, the work of sin in this world, the corruption of sin, and the way that the sin of men and, and the way that the sins of Adam ultimately affect the reality of this world. And so this morning we come to the third beatitude, and we see that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And so let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 together. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Very simple beatitude and one that's a very beautiful beatitude as they all are. And in this beatitude today, I want you to see two points. I want you to see hope of permanence and the heritage of the meek. Hope of permanence and the heritage of the meek. So first, consider the hope of permanence. Now in this beatitude... Jesus announces a blessing of land for the people of God. Now, the Greek word for earth here is gi, and it actually doesn't mean like the whole earth. It means land or territory or boundary, okay? So, now, I do think that Jesus has in mind when he says gi here, I think he has in mind the whole earth, but the word has a certain importance in the story of what God has done in history, particularly the history of the nation of Israel. So the whole Bible is a story of struggle for land, a struggle for a name, a struggle for permanence, a struggle for a heritage. And in that struggle for land, there are two ways that we find in the Bible of receiving the land. There is the way of power, And there is the way of grace. So in the way of power, men have sought by their own might to make a name for themselves. To stake out a claim of territory that cannot be taken. And we find that right at the very beginning of the story of God's work in the world. In Genesis chapter 4, with that first cursed man named Cain. After God has pronounced curses on Cain, and quite honestly he's also pronounced protection and blessing on Cain, he, God pronounces curses and protection on Cain because he killed his brother Abel. And uh, after making this pronouncement, Cain goes out east of Eden 
And it says that he establishes a city. Now we might miss in this little detail that this is actually an act of rebellion against God's judgment. God had cursed Cain with wandering and exile. He tells Cain that you will be a wanderer on the land. You will not have permanence. You will not have a land to call your own. And yet, Cain's very first act after this pronouncement of judgment is to go out and build a city, a place of permanence. And not only that, but cities in those days had walls. They were a place of protection. In fact, that was primarily the reason you would build a city was to protect yourself against raiders and, and other, other city-states and, and evil men. So in building the first city, Cain is not only rejecting the judgment of God, but he's also rejecting the promise of God that he would protect him and keep him uh, protected against the vengeance of his own family. We find the way of power in Genesis 11 as the people of, uh, people of Babel gather together on the plain of Shinar to build a tower. And again, this tower was a symbol of rebellious permanence. They gathered quite literally so that they would not be scattered into all the earth. And they, might, and they also wanted to gather so that they might make a name for themselves. We find this way of power in the nation of Egypt, which expanded its territory up and down the Nile River Valley and out into Canaan. And Egypt erected symbols of permanence on the back of Hebrew slaves, symbols that still stand to this day in the pyramids. We find this way of power in the pagan warlords of the land of Canaan who jockeyed for territory, raiding each other and raping and pillaging and enslaving. We find this way of power in the nations of Assyria and Babylon, great empires that slashed and burned the lands that they conquered, leading their captives away with hooks run through their noses and for the less fortunate, leaving them impaled on the road back home. We find the way of power even today as nations war over oil and minerals and trade routes, all under the cover of treaties and international stability and human rights. We find this same way of power in a local landline dispute that splits families and makes enemies of neighbors. This way of power is greedy and bloody and self-perpetuating. It doesn't just make enemies for a lifetime, but for generation upon generation. But there's another way of permanence that we find in Scripture. It is the way of grace. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 as God makes man out of the dust of the ground and then puts him in a fertile land, a garden. And He makes the trees and animals to come out, out, up out of the ground. And He forms out of Adam's side a helpmate and establishes a family and blesses him with every tree of the garden save one. We see it in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abram to leave the land of Ur and go to a land that he will give to his descendants. We see it in the nation of Israel which was led out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land all by God's grace. We see it in the Davidic kingdom which united the twelve tribes of Israel into one nation and expelled all the, of God's enemies from the land. 
And yet, at first blush, if we were to read the whole story of the Old Testament, we might be tempted to say that it appears that the way of grace is weaker than the way of power. Even though God gave the nation of Israel a land, they could not keep it. The empires of Assyria and Babylon conquered the nations of Israel and Judah and scattered God's people. Even after the people were brought back into the land of Judah, they never truly were a nation again. Perhaps this is one reason that the Jews rejected Jesus, even though He showed evidence of being the Messiah. Jesus didn't come with a great inheritance. He was born to peasants in a stable. He never owned any land. He told His disciples that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. He didn't raise His hand in force against His enemies. Even when His disciples would draw the sword to fight for Him, He would say those who would live by the sword would die by the sword. And in a cruel act of sinful power, the great nation of Rome would seem to grind this peasant carpenter turned rabbi under their thumb while mocking his claim to be the king of the Jews. Even in Jesus' death, even at the lowest point of his life, in his death, he had no place of his own where he could be buried. Instead, his disciples had to borrow a tomb to lay his body in. Yet this same Jesus, full of grace and truth, rose from the dead on the third day as with a great victory, a greater victory than any king or any emperor could ever claim. He didn't just expand the borders or conquer a nation. He didn't just claim the throne of a broken country like Judah. Jesus defeated death and hell. In doing this, He didn't just give us permanence in this world. Jesus gives us permanence that no king or president can. He gives us the permanence of eternal life in Him. You see, in this world, you may not have anything. In this world, we may not have the first possession. In this world, we may be ground under the the thumb of powerful men. In this world, we may, have, we may be helpless as we watch as greedy and powerful men, greedy and powerful rulers do what they will. Yet there is a better world coming. There is a new world that is coming where there is only truth and justice and grace and peace. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, According to His promise, We are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So who are they that will inherit this new earth? Consider my second point, which is the heritage of the meek. Jesus says that it is the meek who will inherit the earth. So what does it mean to be meek? Now, oftentimes, especially in our day, we tend to equate the word meek with the word weak. As Jerry Clower tells the story of when he went on to play for Mississippi State, one year they played Baylor University, and Baylor had this famous, I don't remember the guy's name, but he had this, they had this famous preacher turned football player. 
And he was a fantastic running back, that, or a fantastic, I think he was actually a fantastic defensive tackle, that, uh, that he was assigned to block. And so uh, this guy was known to preach a great revival, and he was known to just destroy offensive lines at the same time. And so Jerry Clower lines up in front of this guy to block him, and the guy charges ahead and just waylays Jerry Clower and rubs his face all in the dirt. And Jerry Clower comes up spitting and pulling dirt out of his mouth. And he says, what do you mean acting like that? Aren't you supposed to be a preacher? And the guy, from, the preacher from Baylor University points his, Jerry Clower says, his long finger at him and he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. <laughs> and, you know, it's, we kind of have that attitude about meekness, that it is a, a, a weakness. It is a, a, a lack of self-defense, a lack of strength. But this, we have to remember what Charles Spurgeon suggests about the Beatitudes. They're like, a, they're like rungs on a ladder rising up to God. And each one builds upon the ones that went before it. So to be meek literally means to be humble or of a gentle spirit. But why are the people of God meek? They're meek. Because they are poor in spirit. They're meek because they have come to recognize that they have no hope of standing before a holy God apart from God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. They are meek because they mourn the effects of sin, both in their own lives and in the world more broadly. They mourn the ways that sin has marred the world destroyed the land and brought war and ruin upon all of humanity. So the people of God are meek because they have seen that the way of power is a way of pride. A way of pride that only leads to destruction and pain. They can look at the, way, the ways that men fight for territory and recognize that there has to be a better way. They can watch the constant political angling that has become the mainstay of our news cycle and see that the way of pride is not a way that brings unity and peace. The people of God can also look at the example of their Messiah. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus calls His people to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, at the, at the most ascendant point in Jesus' ministry, as He rides into Jerusalem to make an open and notorious claim to be the Messiah, He rides not on a white stallion, but on a young donkey. And in that moment, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, Matthew recalls the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, Behold your ruler who comes riding on a donkey, meek and lowly. He claims his rule not in a show of pride, but in an act of humility. You see, the new world that is coming is not for the proud. There will be no pride in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no boasting except for boasting in the Lord. The way of power will be defeated in one death blow 
from the mouth of the conquering King Jesus, and the new earth will be inherited by those who are humble like their Lord. As Jesus tells the sheep of Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, Enter the inheritance prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Friend, the way of power is a way of death and judgment. You may feel that the only way to have permanence in this world is through power, through selfishness, through looking after your own self, through looking out for number one. But the way that way will only create enemies and has no way of bringing peace. That power you claim will ultimately be judged with every other power and every other principality that sets itself against Christ. There is another way. Seek the way of grace by recognizing your sin, giving up on your pride and humbling yourself before the Lord. Admit that you are a sinner and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for your forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, we are called to a life of humility. This is the same life our Savior lived. We are to live in modesty, in contentment, in grace, and in forgiveness. We are not to use power to gain permanence, but we are to rest in the grace of God and wait patiently for the new heavens and earth that He will bring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that the meek will inherit the earth. Lord, that this place that You will bring about, this new earth that You will create by Your own grace and goodness, is not a place of sin. It is not a place of uh, violence. It is not a place of power. But it is a place of humility and grace and peace. And Lord, we look forward to that new earth where we will reign with You for all of eternity. And we come humbly asking that You would forgive us, that You would receive us into that kingdom, not as those who think we are going to earn our own way, but those who recognize that we have no power apart from Your grace. We have no ability apart from Your work. So, Lord, I pray that You would call us to Yourself today, that You would send us out as those who are humble and gentle of spirit, ready to serve and to live as Uh, faithful witnesses for you in this world. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.